You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Well, folks, the specter of the holidays is upon us. And whether you celebrate Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Festivus, or the birth of little baby Jesus, Black Diamond presents Gifts for the Send for all your gift-giving needs. Gifts for the Send! I thought maybe you were tired of the low voice. Now, I know that almost nobody is sending anything but a holiday hangover on December 26th. But Black Diamond can help you give your friends, family, and even grandma the right tools to sit next to that yuletide log and dream of sending their big adventure in the new year. And let me tell you, there's nothing like a shiny bit of kit from BD to put a wistful look on your snoring grandma's face as she dreams of hand jams, perfect sticks, and knee-deep powder in the coming decade. So give the gift of supporting the Enormacast this holiday season by going to blackdiamondequipment.com to find gear and apparel for rock climbing, ice climbing, skiing, and everything up to, but not including, Yule Logs. And heck, it's the holidays, so let's do it one more time. Yes, for the sand. What? Does that mean I'm fired now? I'm union, you know. Hey, climbers. That rock that you lovingly caress every weekend is just never going to love you back. Of course, it's never going to suddenly ask you what you're thinking right now either. But devoting even a tenth of that energy into an actual human relationship might be a better bet in terms of love and companionship no matter what your alpinist friends say. Peter W. Gilroy is here to help. Climber and jewelry maker, Peter can hook you up with just the right gift for that human in your life who just smiles when you get home late from the crag or who's still belaying you even though you're falling lower and lower on your proj. So go to peterwgilroy.com and enter Enormo at checkout for a discount on art you can wear and to help the Enormacast. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the uh, Enormo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, it out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. You really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a frayed end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Good weather, bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Normacast. It is about 11 o'clock here on November 14th, 2019, and this is episode 186, no, 187, 187, a conversation with newly minted, somewhat newly minted, trad climber, Brittany Gorris. And as maybe you can tell, I have a cold. My head is stuffed up, so just bear with me on that. 
And before we get to the interview with Brittany, I have some news. Finally, I have something to tell you. Here's what I would like to do. I have threatened a couple times to do a new listener mail episode, and I've not come through on that. But I am committed. With that in mind, here's what I would like you to do. If you would like to participate by submitting a question that might just get on the EnormaCast, I am going to reward you. I'm going to reward you with some swag. If your listener mail letter, aka email, gets used on the EnormaCast, you get a big piece of swag. What that big piece of swag will uh, remain to be seen. But if you simply submit a listener mail that's reasonable, that's not just a ploy to get something free, like some dumb question typed out while you're driving somewhere or something. And, and I'll decide that completely arbitrarily, depending on my mood. But if you submit a question and we don't use it because of time, uh, or maybe because it got doubled up with some, some similar questions and I just picked somebody else's, I will also send you a bit of swag. So submit a question, whether it gets used or not, you get something from the EnormaCast. However, the rules are, that A, it has to have listener mail in the subject of the email so I can search easily and find it later. Rule subsection B, it also has to contain your address because then I can send you something. And rule subsection C, paragraph one, is that I need to get it by December 1st. So if you're listening to this in the future, it's over, too late. This also rewards you early listeners that get it right away when it comes out. And finally, rule D, or is that where we are at D? Rule D is that it has to come in to chris at enormacast.com. Because one of the things that's actually sort of deflated the listener mail things before is that I was getting them at the 25 or 30 different email and or message streams that come into my life, Instagrams and Facebooks and personal Facebook pages and text messages and calls and everything else. And that, I just can't deal with it. So send it to chris at enormacast.com, please. I won't field it anywhere else. Is that too many rules? Let's review. Listener mail in the subject includes your address before December 1st, sent to chris at enormacast.com. And what kind of questions? Well, it can be anything. It could be personal, it could be global, it could be technical. I tend to like the culture and ethics questions a lot. Be creative, be detailed. It may be a mistake to guess at what might get on the show. Just just something that you're genuinely, authentically curious about would be better. And let me worry about what's going to make it on the show or what'll be funny or entertaining, things like that. All right, submit some stuff. I'd love to have a variety to choose from. Makes life easier for me. And a lot of times if I don't use it, I answer it anyway in an email. Okay, on to uh, interview with Brittany Gorris. I have been checking out what Brittany's been up to for a little while, just through social media. And she's a sportiva athlete, so I had a way to get her information and get in touch with her. And she was excited to do the show. We almost did it in Squamish that I ended up going on more of a vacation than a work trip, even though she was around and up there when I was there, I believe. But we ended up hooking up through uh, a various machinations in Indian Creek. I was down there for a crack clinic. She was down there to go climbing, and we ended up in the Supercrack parking lot in the mobile studio 
So this is an old school mobile studio interview, which I haven't done in quite some time. And we both froze our asses off. It was extremely cold, especially for October. So yeah, I'm always excited and interested to see young, particularly female trad climbers getting after it out there, uh, going for it, not just placing gear, but uh, placing small gear, also going for it in terms of pushing it above the gear. That's one of the things about hard trad climbing. A lot of times it involves going forward a little bit, not necessarily X death type climbing, but but getting after it above the gear. You don't get to place everything anytime you want on a lot of trad climbs, despite Indian Creek teaching everyone otherwise. And frankly, if things are getting so thin that it's really hard, usually that also means the gear is getting a little bit dicey. So nice to see Brittany going for it. She's got an incredible head, it seems like for climbing above gear and the fear that goes with that and the dedication that she needs to get after it. And uh, that's one place where the ratio between guys and girls gets pretty lopsided for whatever reason. And we discuss a bit of that in the interview. So maybe it'll inspire some of you, boys and girls, to get after it. Although I tell you, climbing above gear, it's not everybody's bag. And it should be a very personal choice. And as far as women are concerned, it isn't your personal responsibility to fix the gender ratios in climbing. So if you decide to get into hard trad climbing, that has to be a very personal decision. And Brittany can maybe inspire you, but uh, don't forget to examine what it is you're doing up there and why it is you're going for it. Because risking your neck has to be a very personal choice. And wait, what's that? Oh, my lawyers recommend that I don't officially encourage you to do that. All right, let's get to this interview with Brittany Gorris and see what you think. And I'm going to drop one of my favorite commercials here, a bit of a classic in my mind, because it makes me laugh. It's fun to make stuff that makes yourself laugh, mostly out of embarrassment. I was going for Italian. I think I got a little bit of Chicago. But as I said in a recent Facebook post, Sportiva lets me do whatever the hell I want. So here you go, one of my favorites. Hey, what's up? It's your toes talking here. That's a nice alpine climb you got there. I'd hate to see something happen to it. Like when we get cold, life gets pretty miserable, eh, hotshot? Instead of a ballerina up there, you feel like a walrus. Not a svelte walrus who swims all day, but one of them big ones who lets seagulls crap on them. And if we ever do warm up again, well, get ready to howl like a banshee. And not a cool banshee that scares everybody, but one of them banshees the other banshees make fun of for sounding stupid. So get with it, buddy, and get some sick mountain boots from Sportiva. That's right, Italian-made. So high-tech, they're like, what? Oh, we gotta go? All right, just listen to your toes and check out all of Sportiva's ice climbing and big mountain boots at Sportiva.com or your local shop. And tell them your toes sent you. We're in Indian Creek, and you just were before we got the mic started. We were talking about how long you're going to be here, mm-hmm. kind of like what this place was going to do for you this time around. And you've been here before, right? Yeah, I've been yeah. here. Last fall was my first time here, but I, I kind of just caught the tail end of the season, and then I spent uh, about a month here in the spring. Okay, so you dig it? Yeah. Oh yeah. my god, I love it. Yeah, I love 
crack climbing. I'm, and it's like, it's still relatively new to me. Trad climbing and crack climbing, I kind of like dove in head first when I started. And it it still like left quite a few holes in my skill set. And so coming to Indian Creek is cool because on the same day I can like do something and feel good about myself by climbing a hard finger crack and then go get on something that I have no idea how to do like climbing off with and <laughs> get totally humbled and walk out feeling like I accomplished something and that I also learned something. So if there's any place that I could go to meet a ton of people, uh, it's Indian Creek. And that's something that is one of the my favorite parts about climbing is meeting people right. and the community and and I can't think of a better community than right here. So, yeah, it like me back. it like um, coalesces each each spring and fall. Yeah. You know, it's like everybody who's out there on the road it ends up here at a minute. Yeah, you know, all roads lead to Indian yeah. Creek yeah, at in some the spring point. And fall, yeah. But you were saying that you uh, kind of tweaked yourself a little bit, sport mm-hmm. climbing, and and um, are sort of retreating from that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried climbed all summer up in Squamish, and man, I had a killer season. And but it kind of, I was feeling a little burned out on the granite, so I went to Horn Lake, and and that's on the island, right? On yeah, the- Vancouver Island. Right, okay. uh, Man, I couldn't get away from Canada this year. <laughs> I spent more time in Canada than I did in the States. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I was working on a route towards the end of my trip there and just knee barred a little too hard and felt felt the bad feeling and heard the bad noise and had to kind of take a little bit of time off. And it ended up, it doesn't feel too bad, but bad enough that sport climbing on limestone doesn't seem like the best idea. So. Here I am, right. crack climbing. Off to Indian Creek. Yeah. But you think this doesn't hurt your knees much? It doesn't hurt. Oh, okay, no, I wore good. a brace for like the first couple of days, and now I'm not doing that anymore. It feels feels fine. So I'm optimistic. Mm-hmm. And one of the pieces of media that I saw in you know my run up to this was uh, you ripping a bunch of gear out of a yeah. gear last. <laughs> yeah, year. I was on Weekend Whipper. In what the is spring. that? Uh, that was so. That was on. I was on the Montana Weed Connection over at Pistol Whipped. Okay. And I was, you know, I, I usually try and go for an onsite on on pretty much anything because you know you never know unless you try. Right. <laughs> and it looked like I might have a shot and then I like I went to take because I had I had pl- I would placed three cams and I went to take and so like the rope pulled it in a weird way and um, the first two cams ripped out and the bottom one caught me like a couple feet off the ground Um, and my belayer did a really amazing job too. Um, The cam was kind of fucked up and that was that was a pretty sobering moment. Right. (laughs) But I, I aided the climb so I could top rope it and then I sent it later that day so it was like you know not, it was one of those things where it was like, this was terrifying, and definitely, hopefully, I learned something about placing gear in sandstone, because right. that's still something I'm learning about, And but I didn't want it to like be a thing where I just got scared and gave up right so right it was <laughs> that was that was an interesting it was moment. all caught on video yeah yeah, yeah friend just happened the to internet. be filming <laughs> luckily for you it went around the internet <laughs> yeah ripping a bunch of gear yeah that's not cool <laughs> yeah it's kind of scary because like you see me just rip out gear and then disappear out of the frame mm-hmm. of the camera and you're like what happened <laughs> right yeah so are you um you know you've been Trad climbing, you said a lot mm-hmm. this summer in Squamish. Dove right into trad climbing, and for me again, like that was kind of the image I saw of you a lot. Actually, is been uh, on gear routes. 
Yeah. But that is, is that something that's sort of new for you? Well, yeah, it's been about, I would say like two and a half years that I've been taking trad pretty seriously. Uh I comp climbed for a while, bouldered for a while, and then like really sort of found my calling in sport climbing. But I hit a period of a bit of burnout and wanted to switch it up. So I started trad climbing and I fell in love Mm -hmm. with it and I still consider myself like 50-50 sport climber and trad climber and I go back and forth but I feel like trad climbing really I just really have fallen in love with it and ever since then and so that's kind of what I've spent of a lot of my time doing and it's just I feel like there's so much to learn and it's taken me to so many new places that I wouldn't have gone if I was still just sport climbing and I just it's it's cool to be able to like focus on both because they overlap in some ways, but not in a lot of ways. And especially like even with the people you meet, you know, I think like to me, the the ultimate goal is to have no weaknesses. And you can only do that like if you know how to climb every size of crack, every angle of sport climb, you know, and like I have tons of weaknesses. But but like the climbers that I really look up to and the like dreams and goals I set for myself often are things where I think about if I could be the best version of myself as a climber, I could walk up to any crag, any type of rock, any style, and perform the same as if it were, like, the thing that I'm best at. And so I think, like, branching out into trad has been really good for that because I'm no longer just, oh, I'm good at crimping or, you know, mm-hmm. oh, I can climb well in a gym or whatever it is because it's, you know, it's it's forced me to take a hard look at my ego and and like embrace learning and starting over and and that's not an easy thing for me and and so it's 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 just been really cool like learning all of that and forcing myself to do that and finding that it has worked out really well and trad climbing actually like came pretty naturally to me and so that it was like really rewarding to overcome all the sort of ego obstacles that I had to to start over and and so, yeah, I've been, I've just been having a really good time learning to trad climb and learn to explore new places that I otherwise probably wouldn't have gone. And so, let me go back to something that you said a second ago. You, you said originally you thought that sport climbing was your calling, yeah, in a sense. Well, tell me what that looked like. Like when, put me back to where you as a climber, uh, where like it kicked into gear. You know, we all yeah. have some story that some of us, you know, the moment it started. Most of us, we were mm-hmm. hooked to a certain level, but then, you know, what did it look like when it like really kicked into gear for you? Where were you? What were you up to? And, mm. and how did you end up first becoming or like getting enamored with sport climbing? For me, that was, I was bouldering a lot and I'm a really competitive person. And and where was this? Where this were you was, I was living in Washington okay. at the time and I'm still consider myself based out of Washington because mm-hmm. my job is based there. But, um... So I was bouldering a lot and I didn't know how to healthily deal with the fact that I was really competitive at the time. And so I just couldn't stop comparing myself to the people I was bouldering with. And that was not working out super well for me because I had hit this plateau where everyone around me was seeing all these improvements in their climbing. And I just didn't. I was training so hard and I felt like I was getting nowhere and I couldn't stop comparing myself to everybody else. And it just like, 
I just couldn't deal with it. So I just got really burned out and I didn't want to go climbing anymore. I didn't want to hang out with my friends and listen to them talk about everything that they were sending when I just like wasn't sending anything. And I just was like in a really unhealthy place with my relationship to climbing and myself and like my self image. I didn't take that much time off. Can, can I ask you how old yeah. you were? Um, this was about, this is maybe five years ago or Oops. so I'm, I was maybe like 22. Okay. I'm 26 now. Okay. So cool. Just yeah. like, you know, putting it into yeah, yeah, yeah. context of like, <laughs> it was not that long ago. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but still, I mean, there's all these transitional periods in people's mm-hmm. lives and early twenties is definitely one of them. So. Yeah. Oh, it sure was for right. me. And so I, I didn't take that much time off, but to me, like I've been climbing my entire life. So even a week off feels like an eternity. And so I spent this summer like kind of not trying not to make climbing the epicenter of my life and trying to like do some other things. And, you know, climbing is like I've I've dedicated my life to climbing. So I came back to it without too much time really away from it. And but I went sport climbing because I was afraid to go bouldering. Like I was afraid that I would not have fun and that I would just get angry and and be mean to the people around me and just have the bad time and and so I went sport climbing instead and and it clicked in all the ways that it hadn't been clicking and I just like felt like I was climbing well I felt strong and and I was climbing with different people too and it was it was not about the people I was climbing with it was about me having a blank slate with different people because I had just built up this image in my mind that I was competing with these people that I was bouldering with and so Going sport climbing with a different crowd sort of helps me reset. And for like the next couple years, I I just sort of met a lot of people that were really psyched. And I was able to realize that the thing that had not worked out with bouldering for me was that I was just not having a healthy relationship with my own ego. And when I kind of learned that, and I'm still like, figuring out the best way to deal with these sorts of things i probably will my entire life and when bouldering i was training so hard and felt like i was going nowhere somehow with sport climbing it just all clicked and i started advancing through grades pretty quickly and it just felt right for me it felt like natural and and i'd I'd sport climbed a lot in my life but never really devoted myself to it then that just sort of was when it was like okay yeah this is i'm a sport climber this is what i'm meant to do you know and until at a certain point i was like maybe this isn't all i'm meant to do but you know i've always i've always wanted to take my climbing as far as i can you know i want to i always want to be improving and and so like when i feel like i can't improve at something then i don't know what to do and that was like where i was with bouldering but have you reached like um i mean it was the switch over recently to trad was that also part of the same kind of cycle of like well yeah i've reached a certain <laughs> point and now maybe there's something new to try yeah definitely it was i i had like seen a lot of growth and uh, a lot of success in my sport climbing but at the same time i washington doesn't have that much sport climbing and i was still living in washington at the time and climbing at like a couple small crags and I had done all the routes that I could do relatively easily and was just trying ones that I 
was having a hard time with and just getting really frustrated. And I felt like I was kind of stuck and I needed to change something. And I, I got to this point where I felt just really one dimensional and I didn't like that about myself. And I felt like I needed to branch out or else I was never going to grow. And I, I wasn't burned out on sport climbing the way I was with bouldering, but I did feel like I had hit a wall and I felt like in order to break through the wall, I needed to change something. And the, the best way that I knew how to do that was to consider what I was good at and things I'd never tried and to try and like find a way that they overlapped mm-hmm. and that I could step out of my comfort zone a little, but maybe not a huge leap of faith, mm-hmm. but a big enough one that I could start to improve again in climbing and and become less one dimensional. That was that was kind of like what brought me to trad climbing. So you mentioned earlier, you know, you just said a phrase of these climbers that I look up to, mm-hmm. uh, which I wanted to ask you about. Um, but in in all of this, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you've got you're sort of painting this image. I don't know if if like the this whole conflict was internal or. If you know, you were burning bridges with partners and things like that. And you, we don't have to get into the nitty gritty. But did do you have like a a sounding board, uh, someone that you're bouncing this stuff off of? Or is this all these internal monologues that you're having? I mean, um, what, what is your it... situation in terms of that? Because, you know, modern climbing boulders, literally people have coaches and they have yeah. these... these to, to sort of work through these things, but, you know, I sort of have this image of this dark, soggy Washington <laughs> night where you're just like, you know, like curled up oh, in a ball. Just lots like, of those. Yeah, you know, like it's not the best place. We got grunge music out of there for a reason, yeah. like to have these internal monologues. Do you have, like, how, how do you feel about that in terms of your social circles or is there someone um, out there that you're like able to bounce these ideas off of? You know, I definitely... In my early 20s, when I was bouldering a lot, I was climbing with people where, you know, I didn't really have these kind of conversations or anything. We just, were, we would go climbing, you know. Right. It was very surface level. And I think part of it maybe was that the people I started sport climbing with were people that I could, I don't know that we had a lot of these deep conversations. I I spent a lot of time self-reflecting, and a lot of this is things that I've realized years later. Sure. Um, it wasn't all, like, when in the moment, in, I was like, ah. And all the wisdom of a 26 year Yeah. I need to check it <laughs> right. as I'm 22 or right, whatever. Right. Like, no. I was just like, I need to do something different. I don't know what it is. But um, the people I started sport climbing with a lot, some people that I'm still very close with today, they were quite a bit older than me, and and the just sort of relationship we had was sort of one of mentorship. Mm-hmm. Um, like the those guys were the ones they taught me how to how to use a hammer drill, and we bolted some roots together right. and stuff like that. So it was it was like sort of a bit of a mentorship relationship at the same time that it was friendship, and so that did help me a bit. You know, they i'm I'm very independent and pretty stubborn and pretty proud, and so it's not the easiest for someone to just tell me something that is wrong with me, but you know the, the <laughs> no, every, most people love that most right people love to be everybody told what's loves wrong with it. it yeah uh, yeah, it's hard to say what specifically it was that enabled a bit more self reflection allowed all these things to come together. 
But I think, like, definitely I do owe a lot of it to some of my close friends in Washington that helped me fall in love with climbing again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've loved climbing since I was a kid, but there have definitely been some pretty distinct moments that I consider where I, f- I felt like I was rediscovering climbing and, and, you know, breaking out of like kind of a lull in psych to finding these moments where you're like, wow, this, everything feels new. Everything feels amazing. And all I want to do is climb. All I want to think about is climbing. And, mm-hmm. and I, I like feel like I'm constantly chasing that, but there are definitely, you know, like rediscovering certain things and, and climbing with the right people that, that and allowed me to always trying to clarify my own relationship with climbing so that I can constantly chase like the highest of highs that climbing brings, you know? Right. So what do you think that ideal is when you just said, uh, maybe it's going to be hard to answer this question. So, yeah. uh, you know, whatever. I'll I'll give it a try or we can give it a try. But you just said like the ideal. What, what do you think the ideal sort of partner or crew looks like for you? Hmm. You know, what, what is it? What does that mean? I mean, you seem like you kind of were searching around for sort of different. Yeah. Different uh, needs to be met. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's an old question I've asked, like, what's a perfect partner is, right. in a way is what it is. But what does that look like for you, do you think? That's interesting. I think for me, because I'm really competitive and so, and I I do struggle to find the right balance between someone that I can, I do like, I like to work on roots with people, but it's a tricky balance between finding someone that I can work on something with that I don't feel competitive with. And I wish that I could, (laughs) I wish that I could say that I know what that is because it's something that I really struggle with and I'm constantly trying to learn from and figure out. And some of my closest friends, like I still feel competitive with them and I don't want that. I want to have this great partnership where we're working on roots together and I'm happy for them if they do it first. You know who you are. Uh, Inside (laughs) of me, there's this voice that's like, oh, Brittany, do it first, you know? And, And, um... So, you know, I don't, I don't know. I feel like the perfect partner is, is someone that like understands that about me and like is willing to help me work through it if I'm feeling that and can see if, if I'm, if I'm like acting not as my best self in a situation, they're forgiving of that. And if I'm climbing well, they're supportive of that. And if I, yeah, they'll, they'll call me out, you know, so that I can learn from my mistakes. But I, I think another, another thing I really value is, as I do think that certain partners can like push you outside of your comfort zone in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And I've climbed with a few people in the past that have really done that. And it's had a pretty lasting impression on me, you know, maybe like I'll want to call it a day and instead they'll say like, you know, like let's go do something else. Cause, and, and some people just have like a contagious energy and, and I don't always connect with it. And sometimes I'm like, no, I want to go drink a beer and eat dinner. But sometimes, you know, the right partner can make you want to climb more and make you want to climb harder and make you want to climb things you wouldn't otherwise climb. And it's hard to say what specifically it is, but you know, I think like, the ideal partner just has so much passion and enthusiasm that it's contagious. And that is something that I I definitely feed off of if I'm around it. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say it's rare, but I'd say that it's rare that it, it like, it like 
happens in a way that I like really connect with it at the same time that I'm checking other boxes, you know, like we climb the same things, but I don't feel competitive with them. I, I want to like have like a day where we both send instead of a day where like, all I care about is if I'm doing it, you know? (laughs) And so finding like a balance of a lot of those things is, would kind of be the ideal. And a lot of that comes down to like me (laughs) being less egotistical or like finding the right way to interact with myself and climbing and my partners and right it's and that's like i'm not saying that like it's all about me well, i'm let just me saying like it's like well let's turn it around then what yeah. do you think you offer as a partner oh uh, oh that's interesting yeah i mean this is like a, a way to get at you know you as a climber in a way yeah. that, um you know what, what do you think you offer on that end when, um, when you're when you're being your best self as you say yeah my passion for climbing is so much a core part of who I am mm-hmm. that if that can make more of an impression than anything else, then I think that's like the moments where I'm at my best, you know, or where like regardless of whether I'm climbing well, if I or if I'm sending or if I'm whipping or flailing or, you know, whatever, if if what shows through is just how much I'm passionate about climbing and how much I'm psyched and how much I want to be there and in the moment. I think that's like when I can offer the most because that's when I can also be the most supportive because I'm I'm just happy to be outside. I'm happy to be with my friends and Mm -hmm. even just like being at your best as a climber versus as a partner, you know, the perfect world. You could be both on every day, but that's not necessarily the case. So we we, like you keep coming back to like climbing hard, trying hard, pushing yourself super hard and you know, Andrew and I, uh, Andrew Bisher and I, early on in the Normacast, we actually did an episode um, when I was kind of finding the voice of this thing. And one of the episodes was simply talking about hard climbing and why, mm-hmm. what its appeal is, why it's like such this kind of super important thing to to a lot of people's climbing. I mean, whether you're hard for you is 510 or hard right. for you is whatever. Pushing ourselves is a really big part of the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there's sort of this... You know, I, I don't want to, like, call anybody out on <laughs> this idea of, like, well, yeah, but I, I'll climb anything. I love climbing all things, like, <laughs> and and I'm I'm the same way. I, like, I don't, you know, if it, with the right people, with my partner, my girlfriend, you know, going out and climbing to climb and just have a great day, it can, it, it has its appeals, but I, yeah. I, I also focus still, even at 48, mm-hmm. um, even at, you know, the nadir of my career here, um, I still am focusing on trying to climb hard. Mm-hmm. So what is it about climbing hard, you know, that seems to be such this driving factor of, of how you started climbing or what, how you've come up or what it motivates about you? I mean, sometimes it's to people who are really into climbing hard, mm-hmm. it seems obvious and just self it seems like, duh, yeah, of course you try to climb hard. But <laughs> yeah. not everybody does. And not everybody, right. like, you know, puts their their ego on the line and puts their life into dark places because they can't mm-hmm. do their project and things like that. And a lot of people look at that and go like, well, that's unhealthy and it's no way to live. <laughs> so what is it, you know, is it just that competitive personality? What, what do you get out of pushing yourself? Because it can be exhausting. I mean, it, yeah. it, it can oh, burn it yourself sure can. out too, especially track climbing. Yeah, like going out day after day and and you know climbing above that gear like mm-hmm. it wears you down i've I've been there you know there are people out there that have no 
desire to improve and they're happy where they're at. And I respect that. Like I respect that a lot because they've found a healthy relationship with climbing and yeah, right. it yeah, looks excellent. different than what it looks like to me for me. And, and like, I think that's totally okay. And well, it's way more sustainable yeah. <laughs> because we're going to have to find it at yeah. some point. Oh yeah. I right. fear the day, but <laughs> you know, it's I, not as scary as you think, Brittany. Take it from someone who's much closer <laughs> to the day. It's not as scary as you think. <laughs> but like, I, by the time you get here, you're pretty tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do like really, I really admire that in people that have, have come, have found peace with their ability, but but I definitely have always been of the mindset, like, I'm in this to see how far I can go and how fast I can get there. And, and you know, the the holistic answer would be one of self-growth and, and like, all the learning and the um, honest answer might be something more along the lines of that makes me feel good about myself to constantly Im- be improving. Mm-hmm. And and climbing is is the most important thing I've ever had in my life. I feel like I've been climbing since I was a child and it's such an important part of my identity slash most of my identity that I feel like I've I've wrapped up a lot of my self-esteem and my ego in it which you know like in a perfect world maybe that wouldn't be the case but that does drive <laughs> and that the competitiveness too like all of that comes together to to drive me to constantly be seeking improvement and pushing right. myself and I also feel just you know like I've worked so hard for so long to get to where I am that I also feel like that also motivates me to want to continue to see how much farther I can go. And you, you, you put it well that, you know, it it is like a, a nice image to think about, Oh, let's just go climbing for fun. And, but I can't do that for very long without wanting to try hard. Right. You know, like I, I'll give it a couple days and and then I'm like, okay, yeah, where's where's the hard climbing, you know, this right. that's what really makes me feel the most alive. Yeah, yeah, it's just a trying peak hard, I mean, you know? That was the kind of thing we talked about is it's a peak experience. Yeah. You you your senses are the sharpest, right. you know, everything is is happening. You get glimpses of it anytime you're climbing, but you you get it and again, it's 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 all subjective to who you are and how hard mm-hmm. you climb, but um, you know, I got it when I was breaking into 510. Oh, yeah. And it, and Every grade. It, you know, the, the the drug analogy, which has come up on, on the <laughs> oh, Norma cast so many accurate, times, though. it's like, it's pretty accurate. Because yeah. it's like, I used to get it on 510, mm-hmm. but now I can climb 510, you know, right. without thinking about it too much. Yeah, it doesn't do I anything can, for you anymore. Yeah, I can be climbing 510 and being like, oh, yeah, did I feed the cat? You know, right. I don't clear those thoughts until I'm at the next level and at the next level. And so... There is that weird addiction thing. Luckily, it's not, you know, something that's going to, you know, make all your relationships and life goals (laughs) go into the toilet like other actual drugs do. Although, actually, frankly, it can. But, yeah, so, I mean, I understand. (laughs) I'm asking you from a a point of understanding. Yeah, for sure. Um, But in my joke, though, about like, oh, it's not as scary as you might think, um, (laughs) isn't, you know, like all jokes, it's it's got some truth in it and that it, it i mean it's literally unsustainable yeah and that of course. if you if it's the only thing in climbing that is driving you then eventually it's going to you know climbing might leave your life which also is not the end of the world i mean if you're hmm. truly i mean i don't know i mean there's other things in life to do and it's yeah. like uh 
a lot of people that were 26 and said that it would, you know, be the most important thing to them for the rest of their life. You meet them at 45 and they're like, oh, no, no, this, this whole <laughs> other world was opened up to me by yeah. this happening, whether it's family or even just other careers and exciting things. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you only have a certain perspective at any given point. In right. Time. Yeah. For me, I'm like you. It's always been there. It's always been something mm-hmm. that drove me. And, um, you know, I always joke that I was such a slacker that I'm still improving. <laughs> if I had peaked, if I was like performing at my highest level, I probably would have like not peaked yet. But I, I'm still, you know, I'm still hanging in there by, by <laughs> my fingernails. But I was just curious. The I think the hard climbing is a little bit of a of a sort of polar polarizing subject. Sometimes, yeah. you know, like, well, if that's all that motivates you. You, know, <laughs> you don't love climbing, and it's like, well, yeah, yeah. Maybe, but it's you know. Well, I think that yeah. like I've always. And this is something that, you know, I, I've found really interesting in the course of my climbing life where I was a coach for a while. Like I coached my college climbing team and, and just, you know, like I, when I climbed in the gym a lot, I trained really hard all the time. And, and often I would hear people say things like, um, oh, like I should train. Like that was something that I just heard so often, like I should train. And I still do where people feel like they feel this obligation to improvement And for me, like, I have always loved the process of getting stronger. Like, I love training. I I think it's one of the, I don't know, I just, something about it. I enjoy it. And climbing focuses so much on improvement that they feel like they should do that as well, even if it's not necessarily what their specific calling is in climbing. And I've always found that really interesting because for me, something like training and improvement is important to me. But I think there's like just kind of like this sense of obligation that people feel because climbing media is so focused on improvement and like, mm-hmm. you know, like you real rock every year is like, oh, check out the latest, you know, big news, you know, like people pushing the limits of our sport and it's always growing and expanding and people are doing sketchier, harder, crazier things. And, and so like, that's what you should be doing too. Like, even if you're like a V0 Boulderer who just bought your first gym membership, you should be looking at your future. And, <laughs> and like, I think that's not true. I think like, if that's what you want your climbing to be, then yes, go hit the gym. But if like, if you're happy, like just doing whatever it is you're doing, like climbing socially with your friends or, and that's, that's why I say like, I really admire when people have learned that they don't need to conform to that, like desire for improvement if that's not what draws them to climbing, if they're like, I love bagging towers or, you know, like I love just being outside with my friends, like, fuck yeah, do that. Then there's this other, like, if you have this hunger for pushing yourself and like this goal that you want to work towards or whatever it is, like, yeah, go for that, you know, like do what you got to do to get there. And it's just, you know, like there's so many different approaches to climbing and, and I don't think that there's any right one, but I think like, that's why I think when people find the one that works for them, like I, I respect that, you know, and, you know, but from the other perspective, I would say that, you know, when I talk to people who are in that world of like, they, they kind of sometimes also have some disdain for the folks, you know, who do want to go right. hard all the time. Yeah. Like, 
again, like this idea that because you can't, you know, have a great day rambling up some five six, you somehow <laughs> don't love the sport as much. Right. As do, yeah. You know? So it comes. Everybody has their like little niche that they want mm-hmm. everybody else to at least sort of kind right. of conform. But also, I think it's a defensiveness that I yeah, think totally climbers who, again, of a certain age that you know are satisfied they you're right they feel this pressure of like you're supposed Mm -hmm. to be improving all the time right you can't climb this hard so you're not as great a climber as me or whatever Mm -hmm. that's one thing in my at my age is i've you know no offense looking at you as a 26 year old you know i've definitely got these thoughts in my head like oh yeah i remember thinking that (laughs) things change your your attitudes change you know Mm -hmm. some of it's forced on you and some of it's just like it better change yeah you know because you you can't sustain it yeah quite quite that yeah hard. I, I always hope that one day i'll find peace with whenever i hit my peak you know the ultimate goal would be to have find peace with that and not just be 33 <laughs> is that the day it happens when you turn 33 <laughs> yikes that's just too so soon know. i'm yeah, not ready well, just get it done because you've only got that seven more years well so. that's that's why according I'm... to randy levitt anyway <laughs> Um, That's why I moved into a, my car. Right, right. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. We've gotten pretty out there on yeah. kind of philosophy. Um, let's go back to nuts and bolts. You live in your van. Mm-hmm. What's your situation? How did you make that, sort that out to have this like climbing life? Because everybody's always wanting yeah. some sort of formula to to how to climb all the time. Right. And every time I've talked to you in the last week, you've been camped up, not camped, you've been sort of uh, ensconced up there in Monticello, Utah. Yeah. Great town. Fantastic uh, Especially if Rome is open. <laughs> <laughs> and, and especially in this kind of weather. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you've been up there working. You've been mm-hmm. saying you're working. What What is it that, that you've got sorted out to uh, to live on the road and deal with that? So currently I work for, a, I work remotely as a graphic designer um, for a company that's based out of Seattle um, that does math-based summer camps for girls. It's called Girls Rock Math. And that was like... Um, Sort of the a situation that happened over the span of a couple years. It happened slowly, me working up to working remotely for my job because it took me a long time to embrace. Like I, I've always loved climbing. I've always been a climber, but I didn't always know that I wanted to be a full time climber. And until I, I just like a, I went on a couple trips that had a really big impact on me, where I, I met a lot of people that were doing sort of the the dirt bag thing, the full-time climbing thing, you know, like whatever it took to make it work and and it was such a romantic idea, this whole like you know, like sacrifice everything you have to to make this work that I sort of decided I wanted that for myself and I was able to make it work with my job that I can work remotely and and live on the road and so I I've only been climbing full-time for about a year i moved into my honda crv which um is is pretty comical that's awesome like, that's not the car that's i'm, I'm in a van now i i've lived in my yeah, van still, for, did, for about you. a week but <laughs> i i lived in my crv for a year and i'm almost six feet tall and, and you, the, yeah, yeah if no one know <laughs> if you're sitting there not really uh, conceptualizing what a CRV yeah. looks like. It's small. Yeah, make sure and look it up. What it's pretty it? small. Ninety nine. Oh, okay, yeah. So like are, OG first oh, generation. Dude, we had a ninety nine CRV. Yeah, we just sold it like a, like th- four months ago. Yeah, yeah, not big cars. No, really small. People always got a bit of a laugh at the fact that I lived out of this thing, but I made it work. You know, like kind of 
I adopted this mindset of, um, you know, like doing what whatever I had to and and making it work and and so I lived out of my Honda CRV for a year and and I know there's people that have that are maybe taller than me and live in even smaller cars and and I, I love it's a that competition. I no, I, <laughs> I love the, that. Who lives I, in the smallest car? <laughs> oh, there's there's someone in uh, this guy that is often at the creek that's lived out of a Yaris for three years. Right, right. And and I met another woman who had lived out of a Honda Civic for like seven or eight years nice. um, last winter. And, and it's just like, I love that. I love seeing that because, you know, the tiny car doesn't get enough respect. But uh, now I've I've moved up to a van. But I, I did like, I lived you sold out. Mm, I didn't sell my oh. CRV though. I'll go back to it probably. I'm so attached to it. But, you know, I, so I, I decided that I wanted to climb full time. Like I, and part of it was living in Washington for, I lived in Washington for like a decade. I went to school there and then I worked there for a bit and I just got to this point where I felt like I was falling more and more in love with climbing and I just couldn't get through the winters anymore. Like I felt like I was dissolving, you know, just trying to climb in the gym and keep my psych alive when all I wanted to do was climb real rock. And so I, I got to a point where I just couldn't, couldn't deal with the thought of, of weathering another winter in Washington. And so I worked it out with my boss that I could work remotely so that I could pursue climbing full time because, um, I was also like, that was around the time that I started to see some potential in my career as a professional climber and I really wanted to pursue that as well. And and so that was also kind of tied into being able to access climbing all the time. And in Washington, that's not an option. Like the season is short and there's not a lot that you can do in the winter other than train. And that just was like, it wasn't enough for me. And, and so I decided that I wanted to stop just accepting that I was always going to be this like nine to five status quo person and that maybe like I could live this like fantasy life for for a, as long as I can maintain it, and so that sort of brought me onto the road. And I bought a van not too long after, but then I didn't move into it until recently for a number of reasons, like mainly because I'm not a very good driver, and I wanted to <laughs> make sure that I could like manage living in a vehicle before I like fully committed to having a van and. Now I do, and it's so nice. But that sort of brings us up to where what, we are what's now. What's wrong with your driving? Ah, uh, uh, <laughs> I just I like to get. I just pl- want to put this out as a warning to your future partners. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's an area for growth. I've been okay. working on for the better part of my life. <laughs> it's all about growth. <laughs> yeah. I like to get places fast. Okay. And um, I make last minute decisions and All right. uh, just hasn't worked out super well for me in the past. Okay. And I'm doing better now. Okay, good. Now that I have everything I own in a vehicle that is my home, you know, you, there's a little bit more um, sort of obligation to take care of it and, okay. you know, desire to not be so reckless and... You know, I, I feel like I'm working towards a healthier relationship with that part of myself. <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot of work to do in a lot of, lot of uh, places. Yep. Sounds like. <laughs> sure, sure do. 
<laughs> Nobody's perfect. Um, you mentioned this girls rock math happens yeah. to be this this thing that you're into. Mm-hmm. Um, what what do you kind of have to say about women's climbing? You know, it's it's a it's a subject that we've been talking about. I think more so in a specific sense, yeah. not just climbers, but women climbing. Um, you are in a niche, you know, trad climbing that's not got a ton of women. No, um, definitely the not. In that area. Um, so, which means that I think as a sponsored climber, whether you like it or not, it's going to be part of your image as mm-hmm. like a, a representative for women. So what, what do you kind of have to say about that and maybe where you fit into um, the, the media landscape in terms of the way we talk about women's climbing now? I think it's really interesting that like, and I've I've given like a decent amount of thought to this, and I don't know the that I've really come to any conclusions because of it, but I do think about it a lot. That just the fact that when it comes to like really the limits of trad climbing, there's the number the the women to men ratio is a little behind, and you know like why that is is something that I don't know. I feel like when you start to get up in the grades in trad. You kind of have to either the just the gear gets small, it gets scary, and it gets painful, and so you have to be willing to like you have to be willing to deal with pain and deal with a lot of fear. And I don't know if that's like I don't I don't think it has anything to do with gender, but that's like sort of my analysis of what like sort of has separated the fact that there's not that many people pushing their grades on trad compared to in sport. Like there are lots of people doing it and there's lots of people doing it for all disciplines. But I think like relatively speaking, when it comes to trad climbing, that's sort of, you know, with sport climbing, all you got to do is try harder and be stronger and, and all that. It doesn't come down to as much like mental stuff necessarily. Like you don't have to deal with like spicy gear and, and like how much those finger locks hurt or how run out you are the way that you do. And this is like getting really far away from your original question. <laughs> I'll bring you back. Yeah. Okay. Just but it, you know, I, I do think it, it's something like I do think about a lot. Like why, why aren't there more people pushing the limits in trad? Why aren't there more women pushing the limits in trad? Cause there, there's some out there and, and there's, they're really rad people. Like I, I haven't had the chance to meet too many of them, but those that I have, like I, I think very highly of and, Part of it does boil down to that, that it's getting up there. You got to be like, okay with those things. And what kind of, where do you think you fit into it? Where do I fit in? Yeah. Mm. Or what, how would you like to fit in? Maybe, maybe you don't know yet, or maybe you're not aware of what your image is in terms of that, that kind of look. Well, <laughs> but I mean, for me, it's, it's a really, you know, you look at the media that you have and it's, you know, you're run, you're, you're climbing hard gear. Yeah. It's not, it's not a super common thing, but at, at the same time, you, you have a, a bit of an image with that, you know, you've got mm-hmm. the shocked blonde hair you've, and you, ha- there was some video that you had about like wearing makeup. Was that yeah. Like, oh, yeah, like, yeah. aware of that? Um, so, I mean, all these things are sort of like fit into a, 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 public image have mm-hmm. you thought about your public in image in terms of how it ref- refers to that specific kind of genre the, the mm-hmm. sort of women's climbing thing and we talked about a, a bit about like uh, my creek experience like i ripped a bunch of gear i was on weekend whipper you know yeah. <laughs> um i don't always you know like i i go for it like i i'm kind of a bold climber in a lot of sense and i think that is like i don't know that i'm not like 
I'm not like anywhere near, you know, like the the Brad Gobright or <laughs> someone that's like just that's or, probably you know, better. Yeah, no, I yeah, think yeah. it's a good thing that I I'm not like making. I don't think my parents would be very happy if I was climbing like that. That uh, if I was like taking more risks than I already do. But I think I do sort of have among the people that know me well. The in the trad climbing community, I have a bit of a reputation of you know like I um. I trust small gear more than maybe I should, or maybe just enough to push the limits. Um, and I, I'm not afraid to like take falls. Well, sometimes I am, you know, but people don't think that, that, that like image that I might have created is, is one of like someone that's bold and wants to go for it and wants to try hard. Even if the cost is that you're running it out over bad gear or that you're like, you know, putting yourselves in situations where you're outside of your comfort zone. And, you know, I, I, I know that like, I also do have like a, an appearance that stands out as well. You know, like I'm, I'm very tall for a woman. I'm almost six feet tall and yeah, I've had this blonde hair thing going for a while. Mm-hmm. And it's more of just like a reflection of wanting to be unafraid to be who I am. Right. It's always easier to, to just conform to the status quo. And, and I've always, kind of struggled to separate myself from that and to separate myself from like the normal life and that society has painted for people. And I want people to see who I am and I want to like reflect this like really authentic person. And so by creating an image that other people see that maybe I can see it too. Maybe I don't, I don't always, I, I might think like, I, oftentimes I'm like, what am I doing? You know, like living out of a van, it doesn't, it doesn't always come easy to just, you know, follow my dreams that way because there's always a voice that's like, you know, you should be like, go start a family, live in the white picket fence, work nine to five. Well, let me ask you this. Do you want to be a role model? Oh, absolutely. Okay. But I, I don't know that I want to be a role model in like, you know, like I, I don't wear a helmet very often. Right. I don't right. like... You know, I don't always like do safe, but I want to be a role model in the sense that like being true to myself and I want people to like see that and why don't you wear a helmet? (laughs) That was just, forget. I'm just kidding. That was just an example, you know, (laughs) um, and it's something I should Start do more. Don't wear a helmet. Even the... Even no, the, no the everyone should. Everyone should. Even the guys wear helmets I, now. I really encourage people okay. to. I just... I'm, I don't lead by example in that sense. But, I, you know, I, I do. Like, I've always wanted to be a role model. But I, I want to be that in the sense that, like, I follow the type of climbing that inspires me and that is right for me. And I, I create an image for myself that is what I want for myself and isn't necessarily like the same as everybody else. And, and that's sort of what I would like to bring to climbing and what I would like to bring to other people is to, you know, be authentic and be true to themselves, even if it doesn't really match what the rest of the community is. And you mentioned the like thing with the makeup earlier. No, that's, that's, it's funny. You just said that because I was, I was thinking of it again. Yeah. Because that was, well, you fi- finish your thought on that because yeah, I was thinking about it as well. That was just like a really good example where <laughs> um, a friend of mine took a photo of me like putting on makeup in a parking lot this summer and it, she posted it on Instagram and uh, all the comments were so supportive and it really, really touched me that everybody that replied to it were just like other women that were like, this is like kind of a, a thing that isn't really common in the 
climbing scene is people usually don't that's just not really the way that people present themselves so often like women mm-hmm. you know like, they just don't wear a lot of makeup and and that's fine you know if that's like what well, they want to do but for me yeah. like i like it and so oftentimes i do sort of like struggle with the fact that like it is what i want but it also makes me stand out and um well, that's just the thing it's it's not yeah. just that what most people don't do but i think i think it's often seen as like you know, some sort of oppressive patriarchal thing that right. women are forced to do. But yeah. I'm certain that a lot of women feel sort of like that pushback against it. That yeah. It doesn't make themselves feel good good about right. what they want to do. And that that's kind of, I mean, I knew it was obvious there was a message in what mm-hmm. you guys were doing. Yeah. And to say, hey, there's all types. And yeah. you don't want to wear makeup, that's great. I right. do. And don't think I'm some sort of, you know like inauthentic person because right yeah so and i think like that's why it stuck out yeah. to me you know and it's interesting because i'm not a super girly person but that is like a thing that i enjoy doing and that makes me feel good and right and so that that was like i don't know a, a good example of like what i've been trying to say in a sort of roundabout way for a while that was just like you know that's like what i want people to see and be inspired by is that like it's okay that if that is what's right for you to like go for that and to follow that you know like it doesn't necessarily match up with what everyone around you is doing and and for me that's often the case where maybe that's not something i see a lot of other people doing but it is what makes me feel like that's me you know and so that's what i want to do and and sometimes it's not easy and other times, you know, like I feel really supported right. in that. And well, you're operating in this this world that it seems like it's always been here, but it's actually mm-hmm. relatively new. This social media world, right? You know, honestly, it's only I mean, true like Instagram, Facebook stuff is not even a decade old. Really. Yeah, no, you know, so it's like it's very very new. And and I know all the climbers and professional climbers are operating in it in this whole new way mm-hmm. and, um, you know and we know examples where it's you know gone really badly yeah for them so yeah you can like read some yeah. people's posts and you know that someone else wrote it and right. it's, you're like wait yeah really? but also I mean you know <laughs> like they've tripped right they've tripped up and yeah and lost careers people and things, make mistakes so. and well let me let's uh let me ask go way back to the beginning you said that the climbers you look up to like in reference to um I think it was in reference to being all around mm-hmm. like and also, like, if you want to achieve your climbing dreams. Right. So let's uh, let's sort of finish with that. What, you know, you said you've been climbing your whole life. We, we actually didn't get to the, um, to the, the how you started climbing thing, which is a real common in Norma Cast. Yeah. But where did you grow up, just real quick? I grew up in Fort Collins in Colorado. Okay. So you cl- started climbing there. Yeah. pretty natural. Then. Yeah. I walked yeah. into a gym and in fifth grade and I looked at it and I just, you know, like, knew from that moment. Immediately, I was right. like begged my mom to sign me up it just looks so fun right and i've been climbing ever since so climbers you looked up like yeah who who, who are they well i mean maybe historical maybe yeah people you actually know like give me a couple examples yeah. of a person who's doing what you think is is a path that you would follow i think there's the things that come to mind like my idols and my role models i think like originally i mentioned the that i think the the most that I would want to be like the most all-around climber. Like I, I 
immediately think of Adam Andre because, like, look at this guy, like, excels in every type of climbing he does. He right. can climb the Dawn Wall. He can win at comps. He can win at sport climbing or, like, climb hard, the hardest sport climbing in the world. And, like, he's no slouch on the boulders. Either. God, like, that is so impressive <laughs> to me to be able to, like, any type of rock, any type that, of climbing. Like, part. it doesn't matter where it is, what it is, like, can climb anything. Like, I, man, that just is, like, something I really admire. But, you know, I don't know that much about him as a person. So, like, if I'm talking about just people I look up to in that, like, what I aspire to be more is a person, which I think is more in tune with, like, what we've sort of been talking about. Right. My two biggest role models have always been Lynn Hill um, and Jonathan Segrist. And that's because, like, I read Lynn Hill's book when I was in college at, like, a pretty young age. And, and that's sort of, like, reading her story about how she pursued like this life of climbing and this passion for climbing and and just broke through all these boundaries you know like it's who who isn't inspired by that you know i think like anyone that's ever been exposed to her life story could say that she's an, a role model and that's like speaks for itself quite a bit but that was also my first exposure to the even the fact that anybody was pursuing climbing full time and was like you know like the things that the the original dirt bags would do you know like trade in their recyclables for five cents to be able to you know like whatever it took they would do whatever it took and like some of the stories that came out of like the original yosemite days and all that just sort of was my first exposure to this you know freedom to follow their dreams and that was something that has always stuck with me and that i've always sought to find the courage to do in myself to to like not care that it's so different from you know the societal you know status quo and and so I've always admired that and then also like the other my other biggest role model was um at a young age not a young age but you know in my earlier 20s I took a like a clinic from Jonathan Segrist and um it had such a huge impact on me because that was like one of the first pro climbers I ever met and the way he represented like both himself as a person and like the companies he worked for and he would talk about his sponsors and stuff like just I walked away from that thinking like this is someone this is like a leader this is someone with integrity this is someone who believes in what they do and who they represent and I wanted to be that I wanted to be like a person I, you know like whether or not I ever became a pro climber I wanted to be someone who represented themselves for who they were with integrity and authenticity and believed in what they did and why they did it and treated all of their climbers with the same respect regardless of like what grade they climbed and just like had such a deep love for climbing that they could look at like any situation and see the value in it for like what people are experiencing and he'd hang the draws for us on any project and belay with such enthusiasm and be so supportive and I'll never forget it. But I, I just walked away from that thinking like, man, if I could even be like a fraction of what this person is, then climbing has given me so much that if I could use my climbing to give back to anyone else and give back to the community in in some way, that would be just the ultimate thing for me. And so that's sort of always been a driving force in like my desire to be a role model like we were talking about and to like be authentic to myself and all of those things so does he know this 
Um, I've never told him, but he does now. Yeah, you know, he, he does now. To the show, you know, we, um, he's, a, he's a very big fan of the show. So, <laughs> well, um, no, it's cool. Next I time we run into each other, we'll have right. something to talk about. <laughs> we uh, crossed paths at the Arterix Academy and oh, cool. and um, uh, and Squamish, and I was actually on a team that won the Squamish Exposed oh, right. photo contest. And he introduced us on stage, and he mentioned he like remembered that clinic, and, oh, cool. and he was like, oh, I met Brittany like way back in the day, and and now. She's like a crusher, and, and I was just like blushing so hard. I was just so like starstruck, you know, like right trying to play it no, cool, trying to be like, oh, yeah, no big deal. And I, I think I said something like, yeah, everyone should go sign up for those clinics. It it had a big impact on me, and I, I think it will for you too. And Yeah, he's got a deep uh, <laughs> legacy in climbing too. His dad yeah, was, so a, was that, a great that, climber. That's so. like always been one of my biggest biggest role models and. <laughs> All right. What's the the last question? Is what are the uh, what are the dreams? The what dreams. is it? What is it that this looks like in ten years? Oh, ten years. I don't know if I or can five wait that years long. Or what's up? Yeah. <laughs> I would like to climb five fourteen on gear. There's only what eight women that have done it. Maybe one or two more or less. But that would be a huge dream of mine. And you know, I've I've climbed thirteen plus on gear, but. But like that next level would be something that would be, you know, like I, that would mean a lot to me. I really like roots with a story, roots with history. And, and so that's been sort of a driving force between behind like the projects I've sort of got in the back of my mind, things that would be really cool to do. I I don't feel like I have any huge goals when it comes to sport climbing. I think my like biggest dreams all kind of are in the, the realm of trad because I feel like that's where I excel the most. And that's where like, I don't know, that's the, those are the roots that, that really have that history and that like aura or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And, and like, there's, there's five fourteen trad pitches on the Don wall. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. <Yeah>. Just <laughs> saying. Uh, that's, that's all I'm saying. Just, they're up there waiting. You know, you. I've I've always believed in um, <laughs> having um, three types of goals. You know, like the short term goals, the long term goals, and the crazy dreams. And I think like even climbing like five fourteen on sport was, or like being a sponsored climber. Those were my crazy dreams. Like at one point, yeah, and you're there. It's it's hard to even write them down to accept. Like this is something I want because it's so intimidating. Mm-hmm. The Dawn Wall doesn't appeal to me, like, not so much the style. Okay, all but, right. But, I mean, like, using that as an example, <laughs> kidding, for yeah. anyone out there that is like, oh, man, that is my dream, like, it's super intimidating to, like, take something that seems that outrageous and that next level and insane and, like, world-class, top-tier, and to, like, accept that it could be in your future if you're bold enough to dream that big. Like, right. that's a hard thing right. to do, and... And so, like, I think some of the things that I do secretly, like, am afraid to acknowledge I want to do are, are in that realm where I'm like, All right, well, this would be a crazy dream, right. but I'm afraid to accept that. I won't, you know, I won't like, break the, the sort of, like, <laughs> crystal by making right. you tell us what that is. But, no, it sounds awesome. And, and, you know, traditionally, and you can break this tradition hard if you want to as well, but, like, you know, really good track climbers, they, they definitely peak in their 30s. So you got a lot of time. You got a lot of potential in a lot of... I sure of, hope so. You know, or even later, actually, you know. Yeah, like, well, 
I've got a lot of room to grow still, yeah. man. Put me on a point fives crack, and I can climb like eleven minus. So it does sound know, hard for everybody. <laughs> God, I hate hearing about that. It's like I haven't. I can't. It's like no, no one can. I mean, unless right. you have weird fingers. Yeah. So yeah. so give it time, and and who knows, you yeah. know. Cool. Well, um, awesome. Well, thanks for sitting down. Yeah, my pleasure. And, um, and making this happen. It took a little logistics. You know, my face to face thing is a pain in the butt, but. Uh, you ended up here in Indian Creek. I'm ended up here in Indian Creek. It's freezing ass cold out. Like so my feet cold. are freezing. I'm afraid to leave this camper. Yeah, it's pretty bad out there. <laughs> even though it's only October 30th or yeah, yep. 30th. Yeah, tomorrow's Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, and it's like it feels like like a cold day in January. Not even oh, a nice God. day. In January. It feels like when I left the creek in December last yeah, year. Yeah, it's gnar out there <laughs> right now. And it was a weird mind fuck because every every aspect of it was telling me we should be hot yeah because it's like october it's blue skies it's brilliant sun like there wasn't a cloud in the sky today <laughs> which normally means like scurry into the shade right and all i i was just like please sun give me more <laughs> yeah it was it was really rough today so thanks a lot and uh, yeah thanks for coming in oh it was my pleasure i'm glad glad it worked out All right, folks, Brittany Gorris, working some shit out right here on the EnormaCast. Hopefully she's having a great time down there in the desert, sending, not ripping gear too much. But thanks again to Brittany for sitting down. And in case you just skipped my mouthy, wordy intro, as I think some are wont to do, but you're still here, don't forget, send me a listener mail to chris at enormacast.com with listener mail in the subject line and your address to get free swag. And there's another rule, but I forget what it was. Oh, December 1st, by December 1st, 2019. Of course, I love safety questions on the listener mail. And, uh, you know, that safety for me always starts with that phrase that I use. That means a lot more than just literally looking at your own knot or your partner's knot. It means an opening salvo on a system of mental checks that only starts but does not finish with check your knot. Feel pretty good. And I'm not uh, not scared at all. I just feel kind of feel kind of invincible. Me too. I got a very positive attitude about this. Good, me too. Yeah. It's getting hot in here, or is it just me? 